0: This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, episode 155. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, this is Michael Blanc. Welcome very much to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. Today on this show, I have Andy Tanner, Rich Dad advisor to Robert Kiyosaki, his focus, paper assets. Now, what in the world do paper assets have to do with real estate or cash flow? More than you think. Actually, Andy talks about uh, how you can actually generate cash flow from stocks from owning stocks and how we can use it to uh, in complement with a real estate strategy, we talk about how do we hedge against a declining market. We also talk about why knowing about paper assets and the macroeconomic issues are important to real estate investing? Fascinating interview with Andy Tanner. He's been around for a long time, 11 years, Rich Dad Advisor. He's got two books out. One is called Stock Market Cash Flow under the Rich Dad Umbrella, the other one's 401k Chaos about why the 401k system is fundamentally broken incredible, incredible interview. And we'll get into that in just a second. Just want to point out that our Dealmaker Live mega event is scheduled for July twenty fifth to 27 in Dallas at the Hilton Anatole in Dallas. It's going to be the largest event we'll ever have done. And it's going to be in the middle of summer. The hotel is awesome. It's got a water park attached to it. We have the who's who in the multifamily industry, every influencer, every big hitter is going to be there. But it's all about while those guys are there, it's all about real people doing real deals, we're going to have multiple case studies of people presenting their first deals, because that's my mission is to help you guys do your first deal. So we're gonna have a lot of that and we're gonna have a ton of networking. So make sure you grab your tickets right now. And that's at the michaelblank.com forward slash event. That's dealmaker live July 25 to 27. Go there right now. Alright, so let's get right into the interview with Annie Tanner.
1: Here we go. Annie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Great invitation. I, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm excited.
0: This is great. I hear you, you're looking like you're growing out a beard or something. You know, it's okay.
1: I just turned 50. I've never grown a beard, never <laughs> tried, you know, shaved from once I had one hair. And I was with, I, I'm really good friends with Than Merrill from uh, Fortune Builders, and, Yeah, you know, Flip This House fame. And he and I were having lunch the other day and with a few friends. Everyone had a beard but me and they were giving me grief. So I says, I'm going to try it. My wife has given me the thumbs down. It's a weekend and it's. I don't think it's gonna make it, okay? I'm just saying it's probably not gonna make it, but we're trying. Trying That's to be right. a man for the first time in 50 years. So you Once know.
0: you get through the itchy phase, it gets a little better. I checked it off my <laughs> list one time, checked it off, and never again. I was I, done I, with that.
1: I, I think I'm going to last another 24 hours, and it'll be gone. So
0: <laughs> That's so funny. So it's a real honor to have you on the show. You're obviously one of uh, Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Rich Dad advisors. And uh, oddly enough, you're into paper assets, which is a little puzzling. I'm scratching my head. You yeah. know, he's Robert Kiyosaki, cash flow, real estate, and he's got a stock guy. I'm like, what? It's, I understand he's calling tons of talking about getting our stuff out of wall street into mainstream, yeah. you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. And then, you know, here you are. So how in the world do paper assets even fit into the entire,
1: you know, I guess ecosystem? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Maybe I ought to quit. <laughs> <laughs> there you, no, go. you know, it's funny because Robert will talk about wall street. When he talks about wall street, I have the same disdain for, diversify hold, make Wall Street rich with fees and, you know, all that type of stuff. You know, when you look at asset classes, I never get into bashing one asset class over the other because let's say you wanted to be one of these guys that says, well, don't start a business. Eight out of 10 businesses fail the first five years. That's a terrible idea. Employees, headaches, you know, liability, they get sued. Well, then you got to have that argument with Mark Cuban, Richard Branson, you know, the list goes on, right? Steve Jobs. If you say, well, commodities are terrible, you know, oil prices fluctuate, well, then you got to go to T. Boone Picks and tell him he's a moron. You know, if you say, well, real estate, you don't want to do that, you'll be cleaning toilets and tenants will call you, you know, it's volatile and you've too much debt and risk. Well, then you got to have that conversation, uh, not only with Robert Kiyosaki, but I hear that if you really invest in real estate, you could be horrible politically and still be the president of the United States if you bought real estate at some point. I don't know. I'm not going to go there, Well, I guess I just did. But if you're going to say that paper assets in Wall Street's a bad idea, then you got to sit down with Warren Buffett. And like that would be like a little intimidating. To say, you know what, Buffett? You said that you started at age 11 and you've bought stocks under every US president since then. And you're like the richest guy in the freaking universe. It's not the asset class, it's whether you're educated or dumb in the asset. And I think Robert knows that there's a lot of people in 40Ks that are going for capital gain. And they don't know how to cash flow it. And in every asset class, there's, there's people that are dumb in real estate, people that are smart, people that are dumb in stocks, people are smart. So I guess that's why he, he keeps me around. I don't know why he keeps me around as a paper asset advisor. You know, I, I tell a joke, you can hear a mouse pee on a cotton ball, so the humor is low quality. But I travel around. I, I think he. I think he thinks I'm a good bodyguard. I'm kind of big, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. But no, Robert. Robert understands the big picture of the context of investing. And the context of all the asset classes is the same. It has a lot to do with cash flow. That's a long-winded answer. Okay, we just ran out of time. Yeah, that's it. We're
0: all, we're all up, Andy. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, and I love in your, in, your, in your book, you actually draw parallels of investing in the stock market for cash flow. When I first said I was like, what do you mean cash flow in the stock market? That makes no sense. But you make the parallels between holding an underlying asset, which could be, in your case, the analogy as well with, with yeah. buy and hold real estate. You have your underholding, and then and your rental income is the cash flow. And, and you make the point that with stocks, the same thing. There's you know, certain fundamental analysis that you apply towards a stock, but then you actually get cash flow from that stock. Now, that's fascinating. Talk about that.
1: Now, you used a great term there that a lot of people don't know, and that's called fundamental analysis. And let's talk about that because if you take a real estate investor's approach to how they would buy a commercial or even a residential property, and you applied that to the stock market, I think you'd be better off. So let's talk about what a fundamental analysis is. Fundamentals is how a business is performing. You know, there's certain fundamental things in basketball, dribble, pass, and shoot. There's certain numbers in a business that you just want to have that are solid. So you start with a the financial statement, let's say. And I think one of the most important numbers in real estate is called a cap rate, where you take a net operating income and a price, and you compare those two, and you say, well, how much money does this thing make before we have to pay debt on it? And how much income is, is bringing in? In other words, how much am I paying for return? Isn't that really what cap rate is? That's exactly how much, right. How much am I paying to get this? You know, I'm getting, I'm paying $100,000, and I'm getting 10,000 because of that. Put those two numbers, you get a cap rate. Okay, now watch this. If you go to the stop mark, you have something called the PE ratio, okay? What are the earnings and what's the price? And I look at those two things and I say, does it does it make sense? Now, most people don't do that. Most people go to a job and they get a paycheck and they take a portion of that and they send it to Wall Street without doing that. And they put it in a mutual fund or they do, and they really don't ever look at the business. Now, Warren Buffett would never, ever buy a stock without knowing that price and that earnings. Just yesterday, Berkshire Hathaway came out with their annual letter that that Warren Buffett writes, and he said, hey, I made a mistake. I paid too much for Kraft Heinz. You know, they helped put that deal together, Pay too much for it. Price, earnings, I paid too much. And so if a guy takes that approach, you're going to buy better real estate because you're going to compare that cap rate to all your other opportunities out there and say, is this the right one for me? Well, you the same with the stock. Rental property is a business as a customer called a tenant, and they pay you called rent. Uh, it's the same thing in my mind. It's not that much different, the numbers are the same. But most people don't flip houses, you, know, you might flip and you know, flip a few, but most people want to have that cash flow. Well, a dividend is the profits, and dividends can be huge if you buy it at a good price, and as it gets higher. If your cost base is low, you can get 10 20% over time return on a dividend. So I love cash flow. Uh, I love the mindset of it. I don't like just throwing money at the market for no reason because I'm supposed to because I got paid. Education financial education.
0: So you're absolutely right about that. And, and, and regardless of what whatever asset class it is, it really is about education. And I, I love the parallels that you draw continually uh, in what you're saying now and also your your, your book, right? Fund, fundamental analysis is so important, right? So with a stock, but yeah. also with a piece of real estate, I love the PE ratio parallel to the cap rate. It's because the same it's,
1: number. It's just flipped in one. Yeah. That's it. It's the same number. It's just PE is price on top, cap rate is price on bottom, but it's still a comparison to those two. And you have to talk about real estate because when you're Robert Kiyosaki's advisor, you have to <laughs> end your asset class.
0: <laughs> so your argument you make is you yeah. got to know what you're getting into. The, the underlying Agreed. asset, the, the stock, you have to know the fundamental analysis is kind of like when I'm buying a multifamily apartment building. I have to yep. know, hey, what am I getting into? What what market is that in? What's yep. the sub market? What's the actual property? I look at that PE ratio and, and I want to buy an underperforming because I yep. want to force value up. So let's yep. say in, in this case, you're going long, meaning that you were looking for stock to that's going up. So yeah. obviously your fundamental analysis is going to try to get stuff that's undervalued. So you want to get yep. into the right vehicle because a rising tide you know, lifts all boats. Ship, ship. So people know that sort of. People go, okay, that's pretty cool. But then you go one step further saying, well, once I have an underlining asset and let's say it's it's something that I feel is going to appreciate based on my fundamental oh. analysis, well, I can generate cash flow from that just like I can with an apartment building. What is yeah. that all about? What does that look like?
1: Well, I, 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 Robert gets mad if I go detail and don't stay big picture, but he's not here <laughs> So we'll, we'll I'm recording this call, Andy. He might Uh-oh. actually see it, but <laughs> well, you know, what's nice is, is, is Restat Advisors, we're just a team. You know, we don't we, we Robert didn't pay us. We're just a team. not that a lot of people don't know that? That's we're cool. just a team of guys, and I'm really there just to learn. If he'll let me hang out and learn, I'll do it. But let's just even go before you even buy it. you know how the difference between how most people buy a stock and how Warren would buy a stock? Warren Buffett would demand cash flow up front. In fact, he'd say, pay me to buy this. Have you ever been paid to buy real estate? I rarely buy a stock unless they say, I'll give you money to buy it. So let's talk about an option. There's two types of options, puts and calls. We highlight both of those. And if you sell a put, you're like an insurance company. You're making a promise. So think insurance. There's no manufacturing costs. There's no raw materials. There's no shipping. There's no packaging. You make a promise. Hey, if your car wrecks, I'll pay you. So all you need is a little money in the bank, and you can be an insurance company that collects something called premium. Now, the Bible says the uh, love of money is the root of all evil. Doesn't say anything about premium. So you can love that premium all you want. And so I can say this, Kraft Heinz right now just took a bath. You know, Berkshire Hathaway says, you know, this thing was like 50 bucks, now it's like 30 bucks. I mean, they took a haircut, a couple billion dollar haircut on buying that. So I look at Kraft Heinz today, you know, three days ago, and I say, well, now all the bad stuff's happened. You know, the legal stuff is out, the earnings stink, you know. But I think, you know, people are probably still going to buy ketchup. And, you know, when people say, well, paper asset isn't real. Paper acid is just paper. Well, what is a deed printed on, for cripe's sake, right? But I think there's going to be Heinz ketchup on the table for a long, long time, and I think that Kraft macaroni and cheese, I know I'm completely addicted to that goop. And I think that uh, that company is not probably going to bankrupt fundamentally. And the price now, you talk about that price now is so low. Look at what that P.E. ratio is now. It's a lot cheaper than it was before. So what I might do is it's sitting around $33 today. I might go out and I might say, tell you what, give me an extra 50 cents a share up front if I promise to buy it even cheaper at 32. In fact, I get 55 cents a share right now. They'll pay me to simply promise if i buy it at 3250 it's like 33 something right now so all of a sudden i get 50 cents on every share i want to buy up front for simply promising to buy it cheaper than it is today now think about that if it goes up i keep the 50 cents on a stock i never owned if it stays sideways i keep the 50 cents on a stock i never owned if it goes down i keep the 50 cents and i get to buy it cheaper and the chances of it going lower get smaller because the chances of bankruptcy get smaller, right? It's not going to go bankrupt this year. I just don't think it will be. And so I'm going to be forcing myself to buy cheaper than everyone else. I'm getting paid to buy it, whether I buy it or not. And so I get a, I get my first 50 cents of cash flow off that. That's like getting an extra dividend day one. And this is what's interesting. I'm getting paid to build my asset column that way. Now, what do most 401k people do? Every month, they're buying assets anyway. And I was going to buy Kraft Heinz anyway on this drop, maybe. Don't go out and buy Kraft Heinz unless you know how to do it. But it's interesting because I get paid to build my asset column. 401k people pay fees to have others build theirs. So if you look at that from a financial statement standpoint, you would see cash coming into my income column because I'm willing to take cash and turn into stock. Other people are paying fees exiting their expense column because they're turning cash into equities. And that's a fundamental difference of cash flow. Once I own that, if I want to sell it up high, I write a call. Out of the money expires, write a call. Out of the money expires, write a call. I get called out, write a put. So that's called the wheel of fortune. And we're selling time. It's like rent. You have the asset, which is the stock and the contract provides the rent okay what is a rental agreement it's contract you're not selling your house you're selling time so you have the house that is the asset and the time component of the contract gives you the cash flow in stocks you have the stock that is the underlying asset or cash and then the the paper is the uh, the contracts or the cash flow so I don't, I see very little difference I, I understand there are differences I, I don't want to make the engineers that you know freak out over minutia nervous but but yeah, I to me it's cash flow. Well
0: the point is this not a lot of people know this now i I, I recall my days back in two thousand and five when I was trading stocks and options and I kind of discovered the same thing where we're trading iron condors which is uh, yeah. selling calls and puts yeah and it was it was much more I say boring trading than than buying, uh, it's a buying snoozer, options. Isn't
1: it? it's fantastic yeah. it's just a if great make, way to make cash and you make them wide enough and you, yeah. you you adjust once in a while just like an insurance company has to pay yeah. a claim once in a while most of the time what do the insurance companies do they collect premium and snooze. Your Iron Condor strategy is a perfect example of just letting time tick. But what rent. I love that it's it's, it's
0: another it's another another cash flow strategy which then f- yeah. fits perfectly into the rich dad environment. The only underlying difference, the underlying asset, is a stock. Applying education and fundamental analysis to that, and then selling calls or puts to generate cash on that. Now the other the other point you make, which is a really good point, is that the average stock market investor number one doesn't know that they don't know how to generate cash. But the other thing you point out is they don't manage the risk. And one of the examples That's you right. have is you you buy a house, or let's say we buy an apartment building. When as soon as as we close on, in fact, at closing, or right before closing, we also buy something else, which is insurance. insurance. So we're, we're, we're buying an asset, yet we're buying something else at the same time. And And you, when you make trades, do the same thing. When you buy a stock, you know, after fundamental analysis, you're always buying insurance. So why is that important? And what does that look like?
1: Well, let's stick with real estate for a minute, because this is a beautiful metaphor you've employed, is if I buy some real estate, the bank the word is required. Feel the cutting edge of the word required. It's not suggested. It wouldn't be nice if the word is required, right? And so the bank sees risk. If they're going to loan you money, the bank sees risk. Now, what are the chances of your house burning down today? Just give it a one in what? Well, it's low. Well,
0: one in, I don't know, a million, but if it happens, it'll wipe you out.
1: Okay. So you're telling me the chances of your house burning down very, very low. Okay. What's the chances of your 401k burning down today or in the next six months? Let's just go six months. I don't think, you know, my house is going to burn down in the next six months, but I'll tell you what, I look at this market, it could freaking burn down. If you're going to spend tons of money to buy insurance, and it's more important in real estate to have insurance than stock though, I'll tell you why. If my house starts on fire, it's kind of too late. I mean, you can't sell it. My house starts on fire. I go out in the front yard, pound of four sale sign in fire sale. Hurry up. It's going fast, right? You, you can't sell a house when it's on fire, but a stock is liquid. You know, I want to sell a house. I got to go way down a price. If I want to sell it today, I want to sell stock click. But the point you make is, is we talked about options and contracts. Well, insurance is on a house is you pay a premium and now you are secure financially. If that house burns down, might even get a better one out of it. The same is true with this. Now, The best example I can give you of this in the stock market is with an investor named Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban had this company called Broadcast.com, and he says, let's broadcast baseball games around the world by the internet. And there was this old company that's suffering from obsolescence risk called Yahoo. And that's what you say when your stock falls down the roller coaster, I guess. But he went, Yahoo said, we want to buy your company, but we don't want to pay you in cash. We want to pay you in stock. $3 billion worth of stock. So he gets $3 billion worth the Yahoo stock, around 100 bucks a share. Well, he's being interviewed on 60 Minutes by Steve Croft. And Steve Croft says, well, you know, you got all the stock. Yahoo went to 5 bucks. How come you're still owner of the Dallas Mavericks? How would you keep your money? And I, I knew it went over everyone's head because Steve Croft didn't understand it. The interviewer. Mark said, well, I was covered. Mm. And then some. And what he meant was, is he had purchased contracts, insurance, small amounts of money, insurance that locked in his ability to sell. In other words, he paid someone money, says, guarantee me that you'll buy at this price. And this is sophisticated stuff, I guess, you know, if you don't know it, it seems so. But Cuban was able to sell high because of contract, even though the price went down low, just like your insurance company is going to pay you top dollar, and the house is crummy. And the, and the word that Cuban used was, I was covered and then some, meaning he had been like Eddie Murphy in Trading Places, where Eddie Murphy's playing with the Duke's vase. And he's saying, oh, this is my vase. I can play Harlem on Globetrotters with this vase. He drops the vase and it shatters. He goes, that was a fake, right? And Mortimer says, well, no, it's worth 30. We paid $30,000 but it seems to me that we insured it for $50,000. <laughs> you just made us 15000 or whatever it was, right? And, and so, you know, it's a simple concept that Eddie Murphy can understand dropping a vase, insuring things. Well, you make a great point that when you buy real estate, you got to have that insurance. The bank requires it. And yet, the two great assets I think the average American would think they have is their house, which isn't really an asset, and their 401k. And that's where they're too, you know, if they had to sell everything, come up with money, you could sell your house and liquidate your 401k. They spend money every month insuring their home. 401ks have zero money, absolutely no money to insure against the systemic crash. And when you look at our financial state in the United States at, you know, 22 trillion in debt and another 150 trillion off balance sheet and closing in on another trillion dollar deficit over the next two years, that's going to be brought to bear. There are storm. I mean, if if my neighbor is playing with matches, I need fire insurance. If my Congress is playing with matches, I need fire insurance.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you about that and hold that that thought just for a second. But the mechanics is now I'm curious. So this hedge against the falling stock price is that did that involve buying the puts? Yeah, it does. Um, Okay. Which costs money, which is that premium you're talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I were to bring up on my, other, I got all these computer screens all I over. I love here. it. If I brought up one on my computer screen over here, I could bring it up and give you a live quote of what it would cost right now if they wanted something accurate. But you can do it for pennies on the dollar. I mean, you can get insurance on stocks for pennies, and you can actually look at your whole portfolio and do something called beta weighting and just buy a simple contract on the S and P 500. And then if it dives, now let me show you something really cool about this. And I'll take this a step further for real estate. Okay. There's an ETF, an exchange credit fund called the IYR. And the IYR is a real estate fund and it tracks US real estate. Okay. And I invest in real estate. I invested in some syndications in 2018, bought into some nice property, a couple of properties in Texas, two different syndications, one in Fort Worth and one in Austin. And so, uh, you know, Kenny's, it makes me nervous because Kenny's, you know, doing less buying, But these look pretty good for me from a fundamental analysis standpoint. There's this thing called the IYR and it's a systemic, you know, real estate. Uh, let's bring it over to my other screen from here to over to here if I can. I'll show you where the IYR is today. And, and this is significant. The worst thing that could probably happen in the syndication is a capital call. Let's say the real estate market goes to crap as a risk manager, as a guy who thinks about risk and paper, I'm saying, how would I hedge this? How do I get out from under this syndication? I don't want a capital call. I don't want to call them and say, well, our, our renters left and the market's soft and you know we have all this debt now and we're, our cash flow. The dollar got stronger. You know we're, we're getting less rent because of a strong dollar. We need a cap call, right? Well, you know the risk in my real estate investments in these syndications, I believe, is what we'd call systemic meaning that as far as the individual fundamentals, it's got solid management, solid locals. You know, Austin has jobs coming out their, their ears right now. Everyone in California hates the regs and the taxes. They're moving to Texas. I mean, there's, got, there's good fundamental reasons I'm rationalizing this investment. But a national systemic crash with all the leverage and all the debts that's out there is brutal. So what people don't understand is, is if a real estate market falls, Uh, It's going to fall on the IYR. And the IYR right now is at $84.18. Well, if I go into this and I find me a nice put option, oh, let's just say I want it short term. Let's just say, oh my gosh, it's kind of like in 2007 when things started going fast. I can get in right now. I could buy insurance on this. And I could, let's say, I want to insure it instead of at the 85 where it is today. Maybe I just say, look, I'll go $10 so I don't get wiped out on it and I start making money, say, at, at 77 To buy that put option, right now it costs me $0.35. Cents. So I could insure that entire $84 investment for $0.35. Cents. And all I have to do is take how much money I have in that syndication and find a comparable amount of money to insure in the IYR. It won't be dollar for dollar, but if the IYR falls, that insurance company, the IOR goes up, when the money I put in that syndication goes down and then I can ride it out and let it come back up again. So I can do the same thing, Mark Cuban. So I can actually insure my real estate investments by knowing how to do it with paper assets because I understand systemic risk. Because if we have a systemic blowout in the real estate market, I'll go into paper, I'll capitalize the heck out of that, make a boatload here, which insures my real estate investment over here. Brilliant. Well, I love that. I know it's brilliant. I just a, well, I love it. Hey, I'm just I'm just a dumb stock guy. You real <laughs> estate guys know how to short the dollar and you know <laughs> I'm just a no, dumb stock guy.
0: Love I love that. That's that's just fabulous, right? And people say, well, what if it goes to hay in a hand basket? Great, because I'm insured and I'm I'd be covered. Excited.
1: And then some. I'd be excited because I'd be compensated for my real estate through the paper contract, but I'd still own the real estate. That's right.
0: Exactly, and, and, a, and the, and the probability that the real
1: estate will go to zero
0: is not very very high.
1: But no, it isn't, and I still get the debt on the real estate, which That's I love. Right. So That's I right. get a short the I get a short the dollar on the real estate, but I get a short the real estate with the market. Think about that. I get a short the dollar with the debt on the real estate, and I get to short the real estate with contracts on the market. It's it's cool.
0: I think one of the things you say I read it somewhere in one, in one of your books is that the rich learn to predict the future. Right. It's a really important skill to, to do that. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you do that? What can one do well, to kind of tr- start well first, to predict the future?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for reading my book. Uh, that's five people now uh, my, <laughs> my mom, my dad, me, my wife, and you. So we got five readers. And please, if you do my audiobook, not while driving, I've been told it was a sleep aid. I was really nervous about writing my book because you're worried about one star on Amazon. And I got five stars. I was excited. I, th- I thought I'd read the comments and it said, great sleep aid. Non-habit forming. So I'm glad you, you stayed awake through the book. But we well, first
0: talk- of all, stop that. The thing is a, f- a fabulous book. Just because I have some background in trading stocks and options, and it was is probably the single best book on that <laughs> covers a topic. And well, you have more than just a one five star review. But I just yeah. want to say that And the book that, by the way, is called Stock Market Cash Yeah, we have so, two
1: books. We yeah. all can I do a plug? Am I allowed? Yeah.
0: Yeah, oh please plug away.
1: We have two books, Stop Market Cash Flows, my Rich Dad book, and I wrote one called 401 Chaos, which is a really important book. Right. Uh, that's the one that really came out of my heart was the problem with 401 chaos. Anyway, predicting the future. You know, think about this concept for a minute. If we, are we taking too much time on this? Are we okay to talk on this? Yeah,
0: Just take okay. a few minutes because I'm right. going to ask you what you think your outlook is right after that because okay.
1: you st- kind of started down the road a little bit. So before we talk about how you predict the future and the secret sauce of that, talk about the value of that skill. If you had your choice between accurately predicting the future and $100,000, you know, what would a listener or a viewer in this case take? So let's not take Mm -hmm. this question lightly because, you know, they call Buffett the Oracle of Omaha and people really don't understand that that predicting the future is not nearly as tough as people think it is. So please consider as we answer this question or, or at least try to, you know, how valuable is that skill? If you could really look into the future, and and a way to do this is there's a movie called Back to the Future, which dates me. If you've watched it, you know you're probably a middle aged uh, <laughs> guy trying to grow a beard that <laughs> can't. But there's a villain in that series. There's like three Back to the Futures, I think. Biff is like the bully, right? He's the bully. And in one of those, he gets in the DeLorean, and they get it up to eighty eight point eight miles an hour, and he goes into the future. And if you remember, what does Biff go in? He goes in he shoplifts because he's a crook and he steals a sports almanac. He doesn't rob a bank. he doesn't look at where stock price is going to be. He steals a sports almanac. And then he comes back to the past and now he's got the future in his hands and he becomes wildly wealthy because he becomes a sports betting guy, right? So having the future in your hands is is worth a lot. So there's a couple different ways to do it. The first one, I would say is this, a formula. Policy and demographics will give you the future. Policy and demographics will give you the future. Now, what, what what do we mean by this? Well, there's a movie called The Big Short, and it's you know it's not for the kiddies. It's entertaining for sure. But it's, it is funny. They have these vignettes to try to explain what a collateralized debt obligation is because the average person isn't going to get that. So they try, right? And they say, here's a CDO, and they try to explain it. But When I went to see that movie, I went with my buddy Patrick Donahoe, you know, uh, our wives weren't interested in the big short, and we were listening to the people, and they really didn't understand the big short, but they understood that these guys had information about something that's going to happen in the future. In other words, they said, here's this debt, and this is about the time where it's going to go south, and we see this happening before. And everyone's like, God, I wish I had some insight like that. I wish I could see something that was going south and sour. And I'm laughing because it's all around us. So let me give you an example. Policy. We have a policy in our country that when you hit a certain age, we'll pay for your health care. Now, that's not borrowed money. That's promised money. So to understand this, a person has to understand unfunded liabilities versus bonds. When we issue a bond, when the Treasury calls up Congress, say they're out of money, Congress raises the debt ceiling and says, issue bonds. So they'll up it by another trillion or, you know, whatever they need to. What's a trillion now and again among friends? And so they issue these bonds. That's borrowed money. Promised money is different. Promised money is when I tell my son, like, let me put it this way. If I borrow money to buy a car, that's on my record. The bank knows that the credit agencies know I'm in debt. I borrow money. But if I promise my son, you get good grades, I'll pay for your college he gets good grades, knocks on my door. The world doesn't see that. It's a promise. So it's still a debt, but it's a promise money, not borrowed money. Does that make sense? Okay. Promise made, borrowed money. So we have uh, a policy that says that promises money to people that are old pay for health care. Well, we have a demographic of baby boomers. Uh, baby boomers were born, you know, at the same time. They went to school at the same time. They went to Woodstock at the same time, and now they're getting out of drug rehabilitation roughly around the same time. They're moving along in time. So when you have 79 million baby boomers start to collect Medicare and get those promises, that demographic meets that promise, and you can put a date on a calendar. You know when most of them are going to do it. That's why our nation's financial statement is in complete dire straits. And the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, and also, the uh, investigative arm, the, you know, the comptroller of the United States from the uh, GAO, the accounting office, the GAO and the CBO both say the word is unsustainable. In other words, we look at this policy, and we look at this demographic, and the future is dire. It is dire. And so, how do you look in the future? You see policy, you see demographics. Another way to predict the future... History repeats itself. Another way to predict the future, look at a balance sheet and see what direction something's going. If I throw a football and it's in the air, I know where it's probably going to land. I can see the direction. That's called a trend. So by looking at trend, I know where the football is being thrown, policy and demographics. So when people want to know about an opportunity for a big short, look at the financial statement in the United States, it's a thousand times bigger than the, than the real estate problem we had, you know, seven and eight. Learning how to short this market might be the, the way you got rich, not knowing how to buy this stock. And I'll tell you this one more thing. It's easier to see big coming down than small going big. When you had Steve Jobs in his garage building a circuit board, no one could see it. He was too small. When you saw GM, Romney and Obama were battling over whether to bankrupt or not. It was easy to see GM teetering and why? Policy and demographics. They had a policy of pensions, people getting retired couldn't pay them. That's why Hostess went out of business, why Detroit went out of business. Easy to see the future, policy and demographics. So there's a $1,000 answer to a 10-cent small question, long-winded, but it's so valuable to see the future.
0: So where do you see the football going in uh, 2019 and beyond?
1: Oh, Prediction, Pain. <laughs> um, it's like Clever Lane, right? What's your prediction for the fight? Pain. Short term, we're going to be okay for a little while longer because it's all about the Federal Reserve, in my opinion. I could be dead wrong. I mean, I'm just Andy, right? I mean, Warren Buffett just lost $2 billion in craft, so I can be wrong too. I think in the short term, we're going to be okay for a while because the Fed has changed its tune. The Fed's problem is that they got to reload their gun because they're out of bullets. I mean, once you drop the interest rate to zero and you've done QE for 10 years, you don't have any credibility on a bullet. So what they're trying to do is stop the QE for a while and raise the rate. Well, a lot of people don't realize this. If you look at December of 2018, that's the worst month drop-wise in the history of the market. Find a month like December back in 07, in the subprime meltdown. You can't find it. It's the worst month we've ever had and people got to pay attention to that. That what that tells me is the market really is knows that it's overvalued. If you go back to cap rate and PE, right now there's something called the Schiller PE index. The average price earnings for the S&P over the last 100 years, the mean I guess, not the average, about 16 bucks, paying 31 today. And we've only hit 31 twice. One was in the dot com where no one had any earnings and one is now. So we're paying more for stock. The guy in the 401k is paying more for that stock from an earnings standpoint than ever before. So it's 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 kind of a rough deal there. And the and the market knows it. The market knows it's the GDP hasn't grown at the same rate as stock market. We know we're paying too much. It's like a real estate bubble. When your cap rates are out of whack, that's what Kenny's seeing right now, right? Cap rates are out of the whack. You don't want to buy that. And so we were starting to see it brought to bear. Well, the Fed changed their tune immediately and you know, Jerome Powell says, we're going to be patient in raising rates. As soon as he said patient, the market just, bam, on that day, you can see it on the chart. On that day, it just started taking off again. So I'm bullish in the short term. I'm trading what I see. I could be wrong, therefore insurance in case I'm wrong. So the short term, I'm a little bit more bullish. In the long term, I've been bearish for a long, long time. You know, I just don't, I, I don't know the exact date, but if you have the insurance, you don't need to know the exact date if you have insurance, you don't need to know when your house burns down. That's another thing about predicting the future. Uh, you can prepare for it without predicting it. Boy Scout, be prepared, have insurance on your house. You know, Mark Cuban, they think he's brilliant for having that insurance on Yahoo. Well, if he really thought the market was going down, he wouldn't have taken stock, he'd have taken cash. The only reason he traded for stock, is thought the stock was going up wasn't that he was a brilliant guy. He bought insurance. It's like, it's like you wrecking your car. I say, amazing you bought insurance knowing that would happen on that day. You're brilliant. So it's not that tough. So I hope that gives you your answer. I'm, I'm short-term bullish. Long-term, extremely bearish, extremely bearish long-term. What world do you
0: see in, in, in real estate in that? Uh, because what you talked about overall the stock market, there's not necessarily a correlation between that yeah. and real estate. But then you also talk about the, deval- the inflation is a real problem. Well, There's oh, a there's problem. A- but, so what, what role does real estate uh, or what benefits are there in buy and hold real estate in, in, in this kind of scenario?
1: Well, there's a huge correlation actually. I don't think the stock market and, and uh, real estate are non-correlated. If you look at all the charts in 0708, they all they all suck and then they came up and interest rates matter. I care about things like housing starts. I look at that report because when people buy houses, they put all kinds of stuff in them and stocks go up, uh, construction goes up, you know, paint, all that stuff, you know, materials go up. And so I think there is a big correlation. I look at the charts and, you know, houses are expensive. We're paying, you know, a lot for homes right now. That doesn't mean you can't find good deals because there's always distressed people. There's no such thing as a distressed property. It's a distressed person that owns it. And so there's always going to be divorce. There's always going to be people that need cash, that value cash more than time. So I don't think you stop looking for real estate deals. You do a fundamental analysis. And if it works, you can buy it. But I think that the real estate market has cycles as well, just like the stock market. And I think a person in real estate would be wise to learn how to hedge with paper as I talked, at least an option to look at as a possibility. That's how you hedge a 401k or any investment. You can hedge any investment, gold, silver, oil, real estate, pork bellies with paper. And it's the best hedging, it's the fastest hedging you can do. The reason I like real estate is not the real estate. I don't care about the real estate. What I love is the debt. Because when you talk about predicting the future, let me put it to you this way, why I love real estate and why I think people should learn about real estate and why I invest in real estate. Not like Robert and Kenny, but I invest you know, significant amounts in real estate. If I told you gold was going to get cut in half over the next 10 years, would you be long or short? And you knew I was short. Wow, long course, or short, easy question. Short. If Apple was going to get cut in half, long or short. short. So if you know it's going down for sure, You'd be short. Now, the problem is you don't know Apple and you don't know gold. Okay, let me ask you this. Where is the value of the U.S. dollar going to go over the next 30 years, up or down? Well, it's
0: going down because it has been going down through, you know, because due to inflation primarily.
1: Yeah. And what would you bet over the next 30 years, up or down? Down. What level of confidence do you have in that? High. Uh, for me, it's 100%. Know why? I look at the policy of our fiscal policy. The monetary has to bail out the fiscal. Mm. So we, we're going to have to print money. And we're going to have to continue to print it, and we're not on a gold standard. So here we have the policy again, giving me the future. So what you do when you short a position? You know, I have videos on this on YouTube probably. So there's four steps to a short: you borrow, trade, trade back, return. Borrow the stock, trade it, let it fall, trade it back, return the stock to the brokerage. Okay, now watch this. I wish I had a draw. I wish I had a flip chart behind me because this would blow your mind when you buy real estate, what's the first step? Borrow. You borrow what? Money. So you're in a short position on the dollar. What do you do with that money? Trade it for a house. Dollar goes down in value. Trade it back in rent. What do you do? Return it to the bank. So when you borrow, trade, trade back in return, you're in a short position. So real estate investors don't understand that a strong dollar would kill them. The only reason real estate works long-term, the only reason it works long-term is if the dollar weakens, if you're using debt for your real estate. Let me say that again. The only reason real estate works long-term over a 30-year period, why do you think banks amortize all the interest up front? Because they're going to get their butts kicked if they didn't, because as the dollar loses value... 30 years later, people are giving the bank back a dollar that's worth half of what it was before. Why do you think they amateurize? Why do you think your first payment is all freaking interest? And why do you think they try to refinance every seven years and offer you to re-up? Because they understand this too. Banks are the losers if they don't amateurize. So to me, real estate is a way to short the US dollar. Hmm. And if there's one prediction I feel strong make, I can't say gold's going to go up or down. I can't say Apple's going to go up or down. Hell, I don't know but the dollar's going down. And when I have that level of confidence and dollar going down, if I don't borrow it, trade it, trade it back and return it, I'm not in a short position. So to me, real estate is about shorting the US dollar, and it's a very, very good bet. Uh, and if the real estate cash flows, now you got the time to let that dollar fall. And think about that. What if you'd have bought real estate 30 years ago at a fixed payment? What are the rents today? Because as the dollar goes down, rents go up. It's that simple.
0: It's fascinating. And uh, the reason with multifamily syndications, let's say there's a 3% inflation. Now that will erode 3% of the yeah. debt, but also at the same time, the rent will go up 3% at the same time, right? So you're yeah, making money exactly. just by natural inflation.
1: Well, and as a real estate investor, you know this. First of all, debt and taxes make you rich in real estate. That's Tom and Kenny. I shouldn't even talk about it. But even a dumb guy like me knows that, right? Even a, even a dumb stock guy knows that. So you have, you have th- think of all the properties. First, you got the cash flow from the property, the rent. You've got the appreciation of the property via inflation. You've got the appreciation of the rent via inflation on fixed payment. You've got the principal being paid down by tenants, which allows you to refinance and take a stronger short position. You've got your tax advantage. I mean, I guess there's like five, six profit centers in real estate that are really, really nice. And with paper, most people, they don't understand. There's a ton of of different ways, there's these premiums, there's these dividends, there's the, the the margin requirement. All this stuff relates to paper and real estate because there's so many profit centers. If people read a book, or take a course, or listen to a podcast. So
0: as real estate investors, we don't tend to pay attention to any of this stuff, paper assets, but back to your point, it's all about being able to predict the future. So understanding interest rate movements, understanding the value of the dollar is really, really important. Coupled with the fact of complementing real estate strategy with paper, like you described, is fascinating to me. And I hope that you guys listening and watching this are also interesting and fascinated by this stuff. So Andy, yeah. why don't you tell us where we can find out more about you and you have some really awesome resources. So go ahead and just tell us where we can learn more about this and about paper assets.
1: Yeah, I, my company is called The Cashflow Academy. The Cashflow Academy. You got to put the the you Just know. like
0: my name, the. There's only the, the Michael yeah. Blanc. There's only one. The it's, it's, Michael, there's yeah, one and the, only. So yeah. the,
1: yeah. You know, this is the <laughs> podcast to be on today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we really, really enjoy teaching. We try to make it simple. We try to make it fun. And most stock traders were born without a personality. So uh, we try to... We don't guarantee the quality of our humor. We just guarantee frequent attempts. That's it. We have a lot of fun when we teach and we have courses for beginners. That's my specialty. My book is a primer, whatever you call it. It's it's really a starting place. And what people don't realize is it's not about real estate or business or commodities or paper. It's a context of risk management, fundamental analysis and trend. And I hope that the real estate lessons I've learned may be a better stock guy. And I hope the stock lessons I've learned may be a better real estate guy. I'm going to make mistakes like everybody else. Heck, I'm still learning. I'm only 50 years old. I got to hang out with Robert and Kenny to learn something. But, you know, cashflowacademy.com is our is our website. But the free thing I would tell people to get is 401 Chaos. That book is, it's the 40th anniversary of the 401k and it's not working. Everything I said, I haven't predicted everything right in my life, but, you know, I I nailed that one, if I can boast a little bit. When, when you read 401k, now you look around today, all those numbers are being brought to bear. And if you don't mind a digital, you can go on Amazon and buy it, but if you don't mind a digital copy, I give that away for free. I care about it. So that's a 401k, chaos. You know, Google 401k, chaos, and you can find that website and download it for free. So those are some of the resources we have, and I'll do a YouTube once in a while, you know stuff like
0: that yeah it's awesome stuff we'll put all the stuff in the show notes as well uh but uh i spent some time just looking at your site and you get some really got so much awesome free content and then you have some fantastic paid training as well it's so a really really good resource so uh, andy i, I appreciate you. so much you coming on the show and kind of opening our, our eyes to paper assets
1: well i hope i wasn't uh, too long-winded in my answers and i hope my beard wasn't this isn't even a beard, it was a little distracting and i gotta even... be honest You know, they they say I have a face for radio, but my wife found this webcam from probably 1995 or whatever. But if it was in high definition, it'd be worse, I suppose. You're a delight and you're so fun to talk to. And just not only in my behalf, the Rich Dad advisors love you and Rich Dad loves you. We all have tremendous respect for what you do. You know, Tom, who is a really close, you know, close friend of mine, whose advisors just loves you. And, uh, you do great work. So if we can ever support you in the podcast, because you and I have the same mission, elevate people's financial well-being. So thank you for uh, having me on and and I hope we didn't go into the weeds too much and, you know, try to keep it simple. But also if we said something, someone didn't understand, maybe that makes them think, Hey, maybe I want to learn something. So awesome. Oh, man, is that some good stuff?
0: I mean, did you have any idea you can use paper assets to hedge against the decline real estate market? Right? So that's pretty cool. I'm gonna look into that. That is, I wonder if I can combine that somehow with our syndications, and provide some advice to investors how they can hedge against any kind of decline in the real estate market. Everybody's like, wow, what are we doing against the declining crash in the market? Well, we're gonna buy, right, we're gonna write it out. But what if we can do a little bit more about that? And wouldn't it be useful to be able to predict the future? And if you're a stock trader, that's your business, right? But if you're a real estate investor, that's also your business. So Andy's got a lot of really good resources out there to help us with that. So we're going to put it all in the, sh- in the show notes. It's going to be at the, the michaelblanc.com forward slash session 155. We're gonna have the show notes for the show with all the links in here. But go head on over to the and uh, that's Andy's, uh, Andy site, he's got a, a variety of really free stuff blog articles, YouTube kind of like like I do all about paper assets, about hedging about calls and puts and all that stuff. And then he's got the cash flow Academy, where you can subscribe for a monthly fee and actually look over shoulder about the trades he's doing. That is cool. His books are outstanding. Uh, I haven't read uh, 401 chaos yet. But I did read the stock market cash flow and it is it is really, really well done back in the day when when I was trading stocks and options I did it for about 18 months back in and it was 2006 and seven, right around the crash, actually. And like I said, we traded iron condors after doing longs or shorts, like directional trading was a freaking nightmare. Uh, but selling calls and selling puts uh, what he, exactly what Andy describes in a way to generate cash flow from the underlying stock market is a stock uh, itself is is that's the way to go. And he teaches that and, uh, and it was exciting rereading his book, it brought back a lot of a lot of memories. And it was a really cool way to to generate uh, cash. So I'll go over the, the cash flow, academy.com a lot of stuff there. And uh, also remember to head on over for dealmaker live. It's at the michaelblank.com forward slash event is to grab the tickets. I'm also want to point out that we do have mentoring. And I'm just so excited about that we have literally a 100% success rate of our students. In fact, we guarantee a first deal in your first year. And if that's something for you, then go over to michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and sign up with a call for us and see if it's right for you. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that with rich advisor, Andy Tanner. Catch you guys in the next episode.
1: Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast
0: with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.